now tuned in to the Believers Podcast, bringing you updates on your Chicago Bulls, hosted by yours truly, Keith Franz, aka Bulls Scripted on Twitter. Well, Bulls Nation, if you're tuning in for another Believers Podcast, it means you haven't stopped believing yet, and... I appreciate your support. I think you're hanging in here for the right reason. Because I feel that way, we're going to get into a little bit of why I think you shouldn't be panicking too much. The Hawks game, obviously getting your ass kicked by another tanking team, is bad. But going into the game, I wanted to lose. I obviously wanted to lose by like one point. Not that that really makes a difference next year. Because I don't know about you, but I don't remember too many of the losses from last year. I remember Lowry's game in the Garden. I remember Zach Levine stealing Shelvin Mack's inbound pass and taking it to the hole and winning the game for the Bulls on a dunk that the Bulls probably should have lost that game and the Magic ended up picking ahead of the Bulls. I remember that. So I remember the tank losses that hurt. I remember being at... The Bulls-Atlanta game early in the season with free tickets, wearing my personalized Bulls jersey, rooting for the Atlanta Hawks to win, and then being frustrated when the Bulls went ahead and won because I knew that that was going to bite us in the ass too. So, coming into this season, I was prepared for this. I shared a tweet about my Jabari signing conspiracy the other day, and it involves a lot of double-dipping and triple-dipping between agent favors with Bartlestein with doing Jabari a favor because of his luck and you know getting him out of Milwaukee in a situation that at least benefited him financially. Obviously, after the 7th, if he's not traded, Jabari Parker will have made $20 million to essentially play himself into shape in Chicago, then get somewhat embarrassed by management and the coach for his defense once the roster was healthy and they have their two power forwards back. But Jabari will get to move on to a playoff team and he'll get to have made $20 million. So while his stay in Chicago will always kind of have a tainted taste to it, for Jabari, overall in the long run, it's going to be a positive thing. Better than Milwaukee embarrassing him and signing Ursan Silva over him. That wasn't good for the optics of Jabari Parker, was it? And I think a lot of that was because of these concerns. Jabari Parker obviously has some minor commitment issues when it comes to the offseason. He doesn't stay on his workout routine. So paying him money long term might be a concern. And I said on a podcast with C. Red Fred that I'd probably take Jabari over Portis. And that is because... I think they play the same role. I think Jabari's more versatile. I think he can do more things. But from a pure production standpoint, they do about the same. So if I could pay the same and get the more versatile of the two, yeah, I would keep Jabari. But his fit on this team was always going to be bad. Obviously, they've benched him starting in preseason. His money has essentially become what is called dead cap. $20 million that just is not being used to benefit your roster or your wins. The same way that Omir Ashik and in some regards, Robin Lopez are. Lopez was taken on in the Derrick Rose trade where the Bulls had to move. Well, they didn't have to, but they moved Rose after all of his injuries on his big contract. And in return, they had to take something like Rolo back out. That's just coming off this season. 
uh, Ashik we had to take on because Nico was going to veto the trade with the Pelicans unless they accepted his second-year option for $12.5 million. So to match salaries for both seasons, the Bulls had to take on Ashik, who they waived earlier in the season. So that was $13 million against the roster that didn't help. So we have almost half of the, <laughs> half of our cap allotted into Felicio, Ashik, Rolo, and Jabari Parker. None of that is contributing to our roster. And that is why we have all G League players that were either our two-way contracts in Archie and Blakeney last year, or a free waiver like Shaq Harrison, who somewhat replaces David Nawaba's role that we had last year, who we acquired the same way off of waivers. So the Bulls got younger. They've been detracting from their depth. Nico's not here this year. Last year, the Bulls played their veterans a lot early, the same way that we're seeing them do now. Why do you think Justin Holiday was playing 35 to 40 minutes? We hated it. It was counterproductive to development, but you only have until February 7th to trade your veterans, or you get nothing for them. Because the Bulls played Justin Holiday the way they played them, they got two second-round picks that are likely going to be in the 30s because the Grizzlies had minor injuries and are now deciding, oh shit, it's time to tank. And that means getting rid of Marcus Gasol and trying to trade Mike Conley because they owe their pick to Boston, protected one through eight. So if it falls between nine and 30, it is going to the Boston Celtics. They have to tank now. They cannot mess around. They have to do it now. So if a team that has two past All-Stars like Conley and Gasol are trying to tank because it's the most logical thing, they got away with it last year, and they got Jaron Jackson, they ended up tanking better than the Bulls last year. And it's easier to do in the West, as you can see with the Suns, because the competition out there is so much greater. You play those teams four times a year. You know, the Bulls play the Hawks four times a year, the Cavs four times a year, the Knicks four times a year. Those are 12 major tank games that they have to try to navigate through. We have 11 wins right now. I believe half of them, three from the Cavs, yet one from the, well, not all in our conference, but more than half of our wins are from tanking teams. Four of those wins are from Fred because the only non-tanking team that Fred beat while he was here was the Hornets, which takes us into this whole boiling situation, which I don't know how much more it has to be spelt out, where the writing on the wall has to be written for people to see it, there is no way that Boylan is retained past the season. If he does not have the players, the fans, the media, or the contract, why is he going to be here? The Bulls fired Tom Thibodeau when they owed him $9 million. The Bulls fired Fred Hoiberg when they owed him $5 million for next year, plus the remainder of his salary this year to go sit on his couch. And obviously, if he gets a job, they could either get a discount or they could actually have the whole thing lifted if somebody is willing to pay him that much money. But Boylan is only guaranteed $1 million next year. Which, how, how does anybody think that this guy is still going to be here? And if you don't think he's going to be here, what's the point of complaining about it? You can see what the Bulls are doing. They have had constant changes all year. Whether you believe they were tanking going into the season or not, like I do, doesn't matter. Because after all those injuries happened, everything changed. So pointing to the preseason press conference where they said, oh yeah, you know, we could never really do that again, that's just not in our nature. Well, yeah, I guess they lied. And we all know that they lie. 
they never tell you what's going on directly in the media, because by telling you what they're doing directly in the media, they'd be telling everybody else, and tanking is not allowed. Mark Cuban got fined last year. He's lucky he didn't have their first-round pick taken away. They wouldn't have got Luka Doncic. So, the Bulls can only do so much in regards of telling you what they're doing. They didn't commit to being a playoff team or trying to be overly competitive, too. You know, they said, we're an extremely young and healthy roster. We're going to see what happens. Unfortunately, we hit four injuries out the gate. From that second on, there was nothing that Jabari Parker or the G-Leaguers that we added in the offseason were going to do. And coming into the season, most would agree that the Bulls should still be shopping Justin Holiday and Robin Lopez. Because if they were going to have any success, it should be from players that were going to be on this team. So I don't understand all this denial of tanking and all this just blatant disregard for the situation. This is very standard. You have the same situation going on in Cleveland with Larry Drew. Except, he wasn't even given a head coach's title, and he refused to take the interim title before they gave him a contract like Jim Boylan received. According to Cowley at the Sun-Times, who I try to selectively believe here and there, he said that Jim was willing to bet on himself initially, which would have saved the Bulls money. We all know the Bulls like saving money. I will not deny when it comes to cutting corners outside of the cap sheet that the Bulls do indeed love to line their pockets. But if you have $6 million worth of coaches' salaries that you are not going to be utilizing next year, but you still have to pay, I can understand doing things for money, like possibly, you know, taking on Carmelo Anthony and Michael Carter-Williams and making $1.5 million in the process for doing some paperwork and just using your empty roster spot and also building a better relationship with a very active GM in the NBA and Daryl Morey. So there's multiple benefits to that Bulls deal, and they do not lose anything. They sent over a European prospect in the Mellow deal that nobody ever, ever knew about, nobody was ever going to see. You just have to send something because it's written in the CBA. You can't just send a player in cash. There has to be some kind of technicality, which like in the Michael Carter Williams deal, they sent a heavily protected second round pick so protected that even if it was conveyed, you could find somebody in undrafted free agency that was just as equal or the team that you gave it to might even draft the player that you want for you and just wave them and let you pick them up later because that's how protected the pick is and how minimal that asset is at that point. But between the structure of Boylan's contract only being partially guaranteed and the Bulls starting to take on money out of nowhere, kind of all points to the signs that they plan on paying Jim Boylan off to sign a legitimate head coach, which would make sense. Boylan's defense started not to work in Chicago. In a couple of his seasons here when the Bulls were actually trying to compete, he was top half of the league twice. He was even as high as sixth. Fred Hoiberg, however was never in the top 20 of the offensive rating in the league, and he was at 30th when he was fired. 30th, last in the league. I don't care how many injuries. He had Justin Holiday and Jabari Parker. Boylan doesn't have Justin Holiday, and he hasn't been using Jabari Parker. So, I mean, yeah, he got Dunn and Lowry back, who are both actually performing better under Boylan this year than they did under Fred. And considering they didn't play under Fred this year because he was fired after Lowry played one game for him in the regular season, that's kind of crazy. In a new system that they've never played before, in, without camp 
or anything of that sort without more than six games in any one lineup together, Lowry Markkinen is averaging 17.2 points compared to his 15.2 last year. He's shooting 0.6 more three-pointers per game and shooting 39%. He did not shoot over 38% last year. I think it was around 36%. So Lowry has not regressed. But Keith, he's taking all these late shot clock shots instead of these set wheel action plays that come off of playing hot potato with the basketball for three seconds for some window dressing before he gets the ball. Okay, well if they're so inefficient, why is he making more of them? At this point we're arguing stats, which are supposed to be facts, compared to opinions. Is Lowry Markkinen scoring more points, taking more shots, and scoring more often from three-point range under Boylan than he was under Magical Fred? Yes, he is. And Boylan has also sacrificed his slow pace and his top-half defensive rating that he had in his first few games to run the fast-paced offense that the Bulls want to see. Who they are likely going to find a coach to implement and they're going to find a new defensive coach, too, because if they pay Boylan to go away, it's very unlikely that he's still here. I don't even think that's possible. So the Bulls are going to have a new offensive coach, a new defensive coach. They got rid of Randy Brown, who was supposedly a GAR informant in Snitch. That's three problems gone. All while the Bulls have been tearing down the ro- the rest of the remaining pieces from the old roster. And Holiday and Lopez and, I guess, Jabari Parker, who's the new addition. But we'll see what happens there. We have two weeks, 14 days. I am kind of concerned, but I don't think the Bulls intend on taking on any cap for next year unless they're able to get a first-round pick. And I love couch scouting, so I could never really complain about getting you know, an extra first-round pick. That would be fun, though the Bulls' second-round pick from the Grizzlies that they acquired in the holiday trade is currently sitting at 36th. So that's on the fringe of being like a late first-round pick from a highly competitive playoff team. So you have to keep that in mind. We do have an asset like that that we were able to get for much cheaper. And obviously that was a robbery. That's not standard value for Justin Holiday and should not be implied as such. But... The Bulls are able to pull that off, so maybe you don't take on cap and you try to find some expiring contracts for Jabari and Rolo and get some extra seconds to then maybe dump Felicio, which if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me suggest multiple times. I think that would be brilliant. Opening up that cap that Felicio holds, you could probably pay Portis or any other big man to actually be a legitimate contributor to your roster instead of having to retain Felicio. Though... Who knows, maybe by the end of the year, once Lopez is either traded or bought out, Felicio proves that he can be a serviceable backup. But on to what you should be positive about and why I really, I don't truly understand why everyone's panicking so much. The Bulls have eight guaranteed contracts for next year. The only one that is not a rookie contract or a rookie scale contract and is bad is Felicio. That's it. The Bulls' eight guaranteed players for next year are Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, Chandler Hutchison, Lowry Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., Antonio Blakeney, Denzel Valentine, and Cristiano Felicio. 
Archie Diacono and Bobby Portis are both restricted free agents, meaning if the Bulls would like to retain them, they can match any offer that they receive. So, the Bulls are going to lose about six of the current players on this roster. Of the eight that they are retaining, two are injured and out for the season. Two of them kind of don't really play in Blakeney and Felicio currently. Maybe that'll change after the trade deadline. So the Bulls have four players that matter. Everybody else here is playing for their future, likely somewhere else. It should be interesting to see if Wayne Selden is a piece that can stick as he has showed some flashes and he has potential at least as a back end of the bench guy for the right price. So that is something to watch moving forward. But outside of that, we really just have four pieces. The initial three that we got for Butler, Chandler Hutchison, and then Bobby Portis to gauge what his contract should be. But outside of that, the rest of the team is kind of irrelevant, just like the system that they're running. And that's exactly why the Bulls front office had Jim put the kibosh on what he was doing to do what they wanted. Further proving, Jim ain't going to be here. So, But we're going to get off that. We have only eight guaranteed contracts, most of which are all good rookies or at least value contracts like Blakeney who makes under $2 million. He's a back end of the bench guy. He can get you straight buckets, and that is at least valuable, and that will always be valuable in basketball. So... Outside of Felicio, hopefully the Bulls can acquire enough second, extra second-round picks to dump and remove from their cap sheet in the offseason. The Bulls have cleaned everything else out. They have a clean slate. They're going to have a clean coaching staff slate. It's just how it works when you promote from within, and then you end up firing both. You kill two birds with one stone. Fred sucked. We fired Fred. Don't, didn't want to run Fred's offense. Didn't prove enough. Weren't going to waste our time. Wasn't worth committing long-term to. We need somebody who's ready to do this now. Fred wasn't ready to do it, ever. Boylan was Fred's assistant. Kind of stabbed him in the back. He's going to be gone because he's not being accepted. He's really just there because he's desperate and willing to be a puppet for the Bulls front office. So he's a tank goat, copyright pending. So that's going to be open. You have a revamped young roster. You have an open coaching position, you have $40 plus million in cap, and you're adding another top pick. This is some magical shit to have all this lined up. And I don't care what you think about the front office. Disassociate the names Gar Pax from what the hell I'm talking about. I don't support the front office. I support this current process. I don't care if it was Joe Schmo sitting up in the office making these decisions and Gar Pax's name was just on it. I don't care. I like the situation as a Bulls fan. I think you should like the situation as a Bulls fan. And because there are six teams currently between the Bulls and the playoffs. And those six teams are the Brooklyn Nets, the Miami Heat, the Charlotte Hornets, the Detroit Pistons, the Orlando Magic, and the Washington Wizards. We're going to go over some of their situations and why you should not be concerned about them at all and why... Their seasons are actually hurting themselves more than they're helping themselves, unlike the Bulls, who are helping themselves with the optics of hurting themselves. But really, they're doing the best thing for their future in getting a top draft pick, as that is going to be the best free agent they add this offseason. So, you look at Brooklyn, and you keep hearing how they have two max slots projected, and they have 
all this cap room and they're in such a great situation because they're moving forward and they're making the playoffs and they have their first round pick for their first time in years and they're acquiring all this cap dump and they're taking on all these bad contracts. But the only people they have guaranteed for next year are Alan Crabb, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, Lavert, Dinwiddie, Musa, Karuch, and Graham. So if you have two max slots, but your restricted free agents are D'Angelo Russell and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, probably, at least D'Lo, is probably the best player on the team. Rondé Hollis Jefferson's probably at least in the top five. So if you have to rescind the qualifying offers to those players in order to open the cap space to sign new players, what are you really gaining? Yeah, you keep your coach. Yeah, you got a okay draft pick, I guess, if you're somewhere between 15 and 20, but you ain't in the heart of it. You didn't even give your chance a shot in the lottery to get lucky and get one of these high-end prospects. And then you might lose your best player to try to sign somebody else and reset the chemistry. So I think the Nets have more of one max slot. Because to sign D'Lo, especially if they wait too long and another team throws them an offer and they're like, hey, the Nets are shopping big fish. We'll throw D'Lo a max offer and we think he's one of the top 20 young players in the NBA and we have no problem doing that. We'll eat that contract if we can get him for free. Something the Nets have religiously done to other teams. So I'm sure there's some teams out there that are really like, hey, Nets, your time is up. Are you ready to pay the consequences of being royal pricks to everybody else with your big inflated contracts? Because now now comes payback time. And Rondé Hollis Jefferson is somebody I'd like to see the Bulls go after. He has 3-5 through five versatility. He's more defensive-oriented. He's a complimentary player. But he's a solid, can do a little bit of everything, gives you 100% effort. I think he's a good winning culture guy. And versatility rules all in the league. So the Brooklyn situation initially sounds fantastic. When you break it down... Getting a worse draft pick than the Bulls, potentially losing their best players, and really only retaining a somewhat injury-prone core doesn't really help them moving forward. So that takes us to the Miami Heat, who are just completely stuck with their roster because they have $133 million in projected cap for next year. Next year's projected cap limit is $109 million. So Miami's already going to be in the tax. They're going to lose Wayne Ellington in the process, and they only have two players on their roster that make under $10 million. That's kind of crazy. So the Heat can't do anything. That's why they wanted to trade for Jimmy Butler so bad, because that was the only way they were going to really infuse a star. Outside of mid-level exceptions, minimum contracts in their draft picks, or bird rights to Ellington, they really can't make that much of an addition. I think the Bulls have more raw talent than them right now. So being able to only potentially lose Portis and Archie, but add a blankety-blankety-blank in the top five, as well as having all this cap to further improve the depth on the team from G-Leagues to veterans next year, I don't think we're the Heat are going to be a problem for us. Which takes us to the Hornets, who are going to have Jeremy Lamb and Kemba Walker as unrestricted free agents. And Michael Jordan is being adamant about not trading Kemba. He wants to pay him. He doesn't care how much he's going to have to go into the luxury to do so. But that would likely mean losing Jeremy Lamb or just conceding the fact that you're not going to be able to resign Jeremy Lamb. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Hornets try to trade Jeremy Lamb. But the Hornets are currently in the playoffs. So why would you want to get worse? But are the Hornets hurting themselves? Because 
If they make the playoffs and they lose Jeremy Lamb and they have to tie even more money into Kemba Walker when their projected cap's already at $102 million for next year, they keep the same roster, lose one of their most important pieces at a mediocre draft pick, as well as Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're getting better either. Access to Detroit, who owes Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond a lot of money. They have over, you know, $50 million invested into their front court, which is not exactly the best formula in the NBA because, you know, it's a wing and guard happy league. But Detroit is going to lose a lot of their wings and guards. Ish Smith has an expiring contract. Stanley Johnson is going to be a restricted free agent. Reggie Bullock is going to be an unrestricted free agent. They have $111 million projected in cap next year already. So, they ain't really going to improve. They're stuck. If anything, they're going to lose assets. And Stanley Johnson is another asset, a restricted free agent, that I wouldn't mind the Bulls taking a look at. Defensive three, big and bulky enough to play the four. Has versatility, could probably even play the two because of his athleticism. So, he's somebody I wouldn't mind the Bulls trying to steal on a solid offer that a team isn't going to want to pay tax for. The Magic? Magic are kind of like the Hornets and the Bulls put together. Their best player is going to be an all-star this year. That's Nikola Vucevic. But, Nikola Vucevic is an unrestricted free agent come this offseason. And the Magic don't really intend to sign him. So depending on the return they get for Vucevic, they're going to be losing Vucevic and Terrence Ross in the offseason. They'll also lose everybody's favorite point guard from Chicago, Jerry and Grant. But they have about 83 mil projected cap next year while losing those players, which gives them about one max slot if they wanted. But who is realistically going to the Magic? So they're currently hurting their draft stock to raise Vucevic's trade stock in hopes of getting something really good for them. We'll have to see how that plays out, but more than likely, they're not going to be very difficult to pass either. Now we come to the Wizards, which is just the most comical situation in all of basketball for me because they've just been throwing money at mediocrity and their pride will not allow them to dissolve this team in any way or fashion that could help them this year. They're likely to lose Trevor Ariza, Markeith Morris, Sadoransky, Decker, Green, Bryant, and they have $116 million in projected cap. They already traded away Ubre, who they could have gone further into the tax to resign, but they traded him away because they didn't want to do that. So the Wizards are being tryhards. They're going to get a crappy pick, and they're going to be stuck where they've been stuck the whole entire time, the last five years while the Bulls have been in the playoffs kind of started rebuilding, completely blew it up, and now we're full-blown tanking at the back end of this process to acquire talent. So those are the six teams in between the Bulls and the playoffs. I guess you can include the Atlanta Hawks, which their situation is rather humorous because they're trying to trade a lot of their good players away right now to tank and lose. The Bulls and the Hawks play back-to-back games, which is weird, on March 1st and March 3rd. So the next time we see the Hawks, they're likely to be out without... Deadman and Lynn, maybe even Prince and Bazemore. So they're trying to deplete their roster. That ass-kicking we took last night sucks, but in the long run, it's going to be beneficial. There is plenty of free agents to sign. I could probably list 20. If you go to the pinned thing on my profile on Twitter, you can see my list of free agents I'd like to see the Bulls get, or I would be okay with getting. 
I think most of those names are realistic. None of them are the big crazy names out there. Uh, Rose and Tobias Harris on the list might be a little unrealistic, but they are unrestricted free agents that would be available to sign. So the Bulls really have a clear path forward once we get through this last 34. And in the last 34, there's four players that matters and there's some minor storylines. So to see Hutch continue to start and get confidence and consistency and chemistry with the rest of the core players here, that is numero uno for me because he has the most room to improve. Dunn and Lowry, go out there, continue to get your numbers, try to be more effective in what you do than what you used to doing for Chris Dunn and Boylan's system. He is taking one less shot but and only scoring one less point. He's shooting 2% better from the field all around, 3% better from three-point, and 7% better from the free throw. He's up 0.4 assists. He's down 0.5 turnovers. So Chris Dunn is improving his efficiency. That is a storyline that I want to continue to see happen. I want to see Chris continue to accept his role and be a facilitator. Get Lowry. Get Zach. Unfortunately, Wendell's done for the season. But get your guys going before you go get yours. We know when it comes to the fourth, Chris, you can create for yourself if you need to. Zach has to find the balance between aggressive and passive. We've seen half since the team has gotten healthy where Zach just completely becomes a playmaker and tries to use the attention that he draws and set his teammates up. And then we'll see the polar opposite in the next half where Zach just goes off. And sometimes the on switch works like that. Some nights, not so much. And then Zach starts forcing things. And he's not looking for his teammates because he's pressing to get his, and it's not good. So Zach has to find that balance. He has to incorporate his hot and cold together and just let the game come to him. That's something we need to continue to see. But Zach has time, and I want to stress that. Zach is 23 years old. This is his first healthy season being a first or second option on a team. He was playing behind Wiggins and Cap before. He didn't have this responsibility, and I don't necessarily agree with all Zach's comments in the media, but I can understand his frustrations. He's likely missing out on an all-star appearance because of the Bulls' record and because of their lack of success. So he's getting labeled and categorized as this big stats, no wins, no production kind of guy. And I don't think that's who Zach is going forward. I think this situation is just completely designed for the Bulls to fail. They, they want a top pick. That is the best free agent, and I'm doing air quotes with my fingers over here, that they are going to get. So being upset about where the Bulls are or when they lose just doesn't make sense. And setting them up for both angle of, oh, if they lose this game, they're horrible, and then they win it, and complaining that they don't know how to tank right just isn't productive for anybody. Watch the individuals. Like I said, there's four, maybe five players that matter. If Blakeney can show that he can actually pass, and Felicio can go ahead and prove that he has some kind of value as a player, those are positives. But there's four players here that matter. As long as Zach, Lowry, Chris, and Hutch learn to coexist and continue to gain some chemistry that's more than the 12 games they had with Fred last year minus Hutch, and more than you know the under 20 games they've had so far this year, that's what we need to see. Those are the only pieces that matter. Worry about what's going to be here. Don't worry about Boylan. If he's still here past this season and the Bulls do not take advantage of this obvious to me writing on the wall, completely fresh slate that is available to be taken advantage of next year, I will dust off my pitchfork and I will be just as pissed off as you. But I think 
by reading the writing on the wall, by looking at the situation and using your common sense, you can see what is going on here. The Bulls are tanking. Whether you accepted that to begin the year or not, I don't care. When those injuries happened, they started tanking. Hopefully it works out. The odds are weird this year, but there are six prospects that I already feel would be worth losing this season for. I don't want to be where the Magic are. I don't want players irrelevant to our future dictating our draft position. And the Bulls aren't allowing that to happen. We got two second round picks for Justin Holiday. He's gone. The damage that he was going to do to our team is already done. I know watching Robin Lopez taking hook shot after hook shot and feeding him in the post seems counterproductive. Robin Lopez is probably only going to be here for six more games. The Bulls have six games to show enough value in Robin Lopez to get somebody to give them something for him so they don't just have to buy him out in a friendly gesture because he wants to go to a playoff team and they want to tank. It's a mutual thing that would benefit both sides. And that builds up good reputation around the league because you're doing that player a favor. You have their best interest in mind, even though in this situation they'd be thinking of themselves as well. And the same thing will happen with Jabari Parker if he can't be traded likely because even though I would not mind resigning Jabari Parker, I think the optics of the Jabari Parker situation have been a sacrifice for the tank, and I don't think Jabari would want to stay here long-term. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the money and being in Chicago in his hometown is enough to overcome that. I just don't feel that way. I don't know if the Bulls are going to trade Bobby Portis. I hate talking about that in general because Bobby Portis is a very underrated leader. He embraces his role. He embraces this city. And even though he sucks at defense, he plays with energy and communicates on every play. So Bobby is the kind of guy you want to keep. He's the kind of homegrown guy that you want to retain. But for me, I'm scared going into restricted free agency that there's going to be a team out there that values Bobby Portis more. The Bulls have Lowry Markkinen. There's not many teams that have a stretch for the caliber of Lowry Markkinen that's going to play 30-plus minutes for their franchise every night. Having Portis as our backup is great. It makes our depth very strong once we add some veterans to this team. But if somebody values Portis as a starter and is willing to pay Portis as a starter come restricted free agency, I don't want the Bulls to get suckered into having to match. And I don't want to have the Bulls lose Bobby Portis for nothing. Because that would suck even more. So I hope the Bulls are testing the waters on Portis. I do think he brings a lot of value to a playoff team as a starter or as somebody off the bench as a stretch four. I think the 76ers could really use somebody like him. Hell, the Rockets. There's a lot of teams out there that could really use Bobby Portis. And since his contract is controlled, as well as the fact that it's easy to move because it's the fourth year of his rookie contract and it's under $5 million, there should be a market for Bobby. So while I would hate to see Bobby go, I couldn't be too mad at the situation. Even though I think it could bite us in the ass because it won't bite us in the ass as much as losing Bobby for free would. At least you have that first. You get four more potential years of control of a young asset instead of having to pay Bobby a lot of money. And then you go after a Rondé Hollis Jefferson or you throw a crazy big offer at a Tobias Harris. You know, So there are other options at the four spot that I think are either more versatile or could be better players than Bobby Portis moving forward in free agency that I think the Bulls could recover from trading him if they were able to get value for him now. If not, I have no problem with Bobby staying. I love Bobby Portis. I think he brings... A versatile skill set and depth to this team 
but to a certain extent, he's only worth so much to this team behind Lowry Market. So I want to thank you guys for listening. I know it's hard to watch this. I know wanting your team to lose and then actually having to watch that shit is a lot different. It's painful. It's supposed to hurt. If it didn't hurt, you wouldn't be a real fan. But with that hurt, you got to understand that we're all sacrificing some pride for the greater good here. The players are being forced into sacrificing their pride and they're struggling with it. And hopefully they recover from it. I think a top prospect, the right veterans, and a solid coach that can connect to these players coming in changes everything. They didn't have chemistry with Fred. Switching to Boylan didn't ruin some great thing that was currently going. It was shit. The whole tenure Fred was here was kind of crap. Jimmy Butler, it was Jimmy Butler ball. And that's when Fred had his best offense. And yes, Fred never got a full healthy roster and they never really tried to set Fred up to succeed. But that's the reality at the end of his contract. He didn't prove enough. They want to start fresh. It's part of rebuilding. You're not just rebuilding the players and the roster. You're rebuilding the coaching staff because obviously that didn't work either. So why throw more money at something that didn't work when you can try something new? So ride out Boylan. Like I said earlier, I'll get out the pitchfork with you if he's still here next year. But until then, we just got to relax. Try to enjoy the little things. And don't stop believing. Until next time, go Bulls.